Welcome to QR Code, a queer health series exploring diverse and intersecting community issues. My name's James McKenzie. In this episode, three queer sex workers share their insights about sexual health, peer support, and the impacts of stigma, discrimination, and the law. So my name is Gio, and uh, I'm a 32-year-old sex worker from Italy, and I've been in Australia for about seven years. Well, it's really interesting because it started all from um, coming from a financially abusive relationship. I was left alone and in quite a lot of debt, and so I decided to give sex work a go to try and pay off my debts and I was quite successful at first and so it all kind of snowballed into becoming a little bit more of a full-time career and yeah it was a lovely journey of empowerment towards financial independence. Well, my name is Peaches. I've been in sex work for probably close on four years now working in, I don't know, doing all kinds of things, so from massage, escorting, brothel work. And, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bisexual woman, so, yeah. So my name is Maeve. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I've been in yeah, doing sex work since around 2016, um, so a couple of years, and it's all been brothel-based work, mainly in, yeah, um, Nambu-Ranga, Melbourne. Yeah, it's, yeah... <laughs> Sex workers do tend to be very, very on top of their sexual health, like in ways that non-sex workers cannot even imagine. So, for example, I think particularly in brothel contexts, like I will health check a client, so I'll do a visual examination of their genitals before beginning a service. So even things like if I don't think that they have an STI, but maybe they have a cut or something or like an open wound from an ingrown hair or something like that, is I I will then make an assessment of whether or not it's safe to go on with that service you know I have hand sanitizer next to my bed so if I'm touching them I'm using hand sanitizer before I'm touching myself just like little things like that that I think non-sex workers just like don't even comprehend the kind of levels that we go to to ensure our safety and every worker has like different kind of things that they'll do and so then, yeah, when you're kind of, when you're treated as a, as a vector of disease, it needs to be like tested constantly and blah, 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 as this kind of public health threat. It just seems really absurd. And yeah. <laughs> One of the things that always mm, makes me laugh whenever I come out as a sex worker to people is the fact that they ask you. So, uh, but like, especially in like, on the on the dating apps like Grinder and Tinder, they would ask, "Oh, but um, so you know, are you clean?" Which is such a horrible word, uh, such a horrible slur. Essentially, want to know if you have any um, any STIs, any sexually transmitted um, disease. But uh, what they don't realize is that sex workers have always been at the forefront of uh, STD prevention. We teach clients about safe sex and how to perform sexual acts, trying to minimize the chances of getting an STD. And so, um, yeah, I feel like uh, we're really hard done by and like our labor on this uh, front is highly unrecognized. Essentially, it's you just have a nice, quick, thorough check sometimes it's essentially quite interesting and funny to try and find ways to check certain things but also making the client feel like 
we're still like in the booking and still having fun so obviously there are specific areas around the genitals and the perineal area that you have to check to see if there is any you know any symptoms of an sti any skin rashes or any other stuff and yeah you essentially have to pretend you're incredibly interested in um, having a really good look at their balls and just you know and then just check and making sure that everything is all right and then if everything is all right you proceed with the booking and I guess the hard part is when there is something which like in that point like you probably like you just tell them look there is something wrong I think you should get that checked and here come we come back to sex workers being at the forefront of making sure that um, everyone's sexual health is in check like the amount of times too that I've taught clients how to do like their own health checks at home, like visual checks and exactly, you know, told them exactly what I'm looking for and what they should look out for and that sort of thing. Like that happens really often. And that's, you know, stuff that like, I think is useful for everyone to know. Um, yeah. Like, but it's just kind of second nature because, you know, I have to do it. Um, yeah. Under the licensing system, we have mandatory testing, which means that so sex workers have to be um, have a full screen for STIs, BBVs every three months. Under the current licensing system, you know, HIV is still criminalised. If we're found to be working, know that we're working with an STI. That includes HIV, is it? That's actually against the law. That disincentivises testing. And it kind of goes against all current evidence. So, in the con- like, if you're working in a brothel or something, you have to go to either your GP or you can go to a sexual health clinic. And you get a test and you're given a certificate that says that you have you've had your screening. So then you have to go and present that to your employer to say that you can work. If you don't have that certificate, they won't let you work. And yeah, if you work privately, you are still. I'm fairly certain you are still required to have that certificate, but you're not, you know, presenting it to anyone as such. You know, this is one of the funny things about licensing is it's actually so complicated. It's really, um, and I think there's actually like multiple pieces of legislation that actually kind of like govern the sex industry. So it's a little confusing and you kind of often you go off like, I heard this from this person and this person and blah, blah, blah. So I think this is the law. So, um, you know, I think that escorts are required as well to have that, but I don't think they have to necessarily carry the certificate or anything, but I don't know. One of the most annoying things, I don't like people poking and prodding around my body. Um, uh, the reality is that we should just be able to get tested when we need to. So say if a condom breaks or something like that, or if we have uh, unprotected sex, say, in our personal life or something, is that maybe we can go on an as-needs basis. It's just, like, it's super inconvenient and super invasive. So I, like many workers who are based in this kind of metropolitan area, use the Melbourne Sexual Health Clinic for that. It's free and anonymous, but like that is questionable in terms of the practices that they, like the, I guess the information that they provide. I have had an experience there where I wasn't given the appropriate information. Like I was kind of, it was suggested that I had to give more information than what I did have to provide. And then that information is kept on record for X amount of years. And there's not really anything that I can do about it. So there's that kind of invasion of privacy. Um, and then just like, 
I think that's kind of like those practices are compounded by the fact that, I mean, I don't know, but I assume and I get the sense that the staff are sometimes a bit resentful for having to do it, maybe because they are medical professionals and realise that there's not really like... Uh, I don't know that it's medically dubious as to whether the testing regime that we have is effective, but also I think it has to do with homophobia and stigma, which is particularly acute in the medical profession too. So yeah, there are those issues around privacy and around like information in terms of the actual tests themselves. They're just quite like unnecessary on a lot of grounds. So it involves a swab test like of the throat, of the vagina and or anus and like a blood test for HIV on a three-monthly basis. But yeah, they're really quite a silly thing to go through in the sense of like sex workers are sexual health professionals. I do, when I do brothel work, I will do multiple like visual health checks a night. I know what to look for. I am very proactive with my own health because my income relies on it. But in saying that, though, like we are pathologized to a degree that no other, <laughs> well, I mean, no, not no other, but we are pathologized to a very particular degree. And like, I don't like I'm, that ties into the stigmatization of like STIs, which I think is also a massive problem. So I don't want to kind of be like, oh, well, you know, like <laughs> it's OK because I am like proactive, like you you have a right to not be like it's just that we are medicalized and pathologized in in ways that others aren't despite our incredible expertise and kind of the historical importance of sex workers in kind of responses because i've kind of been a, a stealthy kind of worker i've never really i've never really said to a doctor like even in sexual health that i'm a sex worker i just being a gay man i have like still access to a lot of testing to a lot of um, things and so I don't I never really felt the need to disclose it especially because I don't trust that the data is going to be shared like it's not going to be shared it's going to be kept confidential especially uh, for example what happened last year with the my health system that was so incredibly flawed in a way and like there are so many reports in countries that have adopted a my health system having the data like breached and shared with entities that should not have access to that that data and so yeah i've obviously opted out of my health so they don't have i don't have my health but yeah as an added measure i make sure to also never disclose to any doctor that i'm a sex worker I mean, I feel like the real, I always get a little bit of a test when I disclose to a doctor that I'm gay. It happened the other day, going to a doctor, um, asked me if I'm on any medication and I mentioned PrEP and their tone, their the way that they perceived me completely changed and I essentially got dismissed within like literally 30 seconds in my appointment saying that I had like no issues whatsoever and so I feel like discrimination from health providers is a really serious risk. The documentation of me being a worker in particular circumstances that's an ongoing fear um, and that is particularly amplified within our model because I'm required to have like health checks, STI checks on a three monthly basis which in themselves are very invasive and not backed by research and yeah, um, just wrong on a lot of levels. But in any case, like, I'm 
yeah, I'm really uncomfortable with some of the recording that goes on when I have to get those tests. Like I, you know, I, I have some control over that data, other stuff I just don't know and other stuff that like, you know, when I first started and I didn't know what my rights were in terms of maintaining my privacy, like there are many ways in which your privacy can be violated when you don't have that information. So there's that and that, you know, that affects who I disclose my work to and not. It affects how I go about um, fulfilling my unfair legal requirements. And in terms of like, I think mental health in particular, it's quite fraught. So I recently, well, I've had on a few occasions been looking for a, a psych or whatever, and like basically relying on like peers and the peer org for recommendations as to someone who could be verified as, you know, not going to be whorephobic or whatever and, you know, do silly things like attribute whatever you're going through to your work without you saying that that's the case or whatever. Yeah, that sort of thing where you're not receiving the treatment that you need because of that. And yeah, and there was a period last year where I needed a particular healthcare provider and I, I couldn't be certain that anyone that I found would be okay with sex work, so I just didn't end up getting the healthcare that I needed. I just put it off, which is, I'm sure, what many have experienced because, yeah, it's it's quite a risk and it can follow you if you get the wrong person who doesn't, yeah, respect your privacy and your kind of <laughs> capacity to, yeah, decide what is or is not problematic in your own life, yeah. I'm lucky to have uh, a GP here that's explicitly like queer trans sex worker friendly, which is fantastic. But I have definitely had doctors who have, you know, advised me to leave the industry who have no understanding of the licensing requirements and that I do require STI testing and that sort of thing, making assumptions about my status and all that kind of thing that's just really ignorant and rude. But I think I I guess I would have a lot of concern as well for workers in rural areas in particular. I come from a small country town where there is no way I could go and tell my GP that I was a sex worker. And if I wanted a certificate to present at work, it would kind of be like fairly obvious, you know. I would probably have to go to another town really to get my my certificate. So I think, yeah, definitely for workers with less access in, in rural areas, it's, it's a lot worse. You're listening to QR Code, a queer health series exploring diverse and intersecting community issues. In this episode, we're exploring sex workers' health and wellbeing. Peer support is everything. <laughs> I don't think I would have lasted as long in this industry as I have without my peers. I think these days, I don't know, I seem to hang out with uh, non-sex workers less and less. It's so important to have people around you who actually understand your lived experience and I think it really is, being a sex worker really is sort of one of those things that I think you can't truly understand unless you've been there. You know, you cop a lot of stigma, a lot of discrimination. I think a lot of people can be quite well-meaning and still not quite understand how the things that they're saying and doing can be really loaded with assumptions. And, uh, yeah, that can be quite quite isolating. They can be assumptions about, you know, from really innocuous kind of comments about, you know, I hope that, you know, so long as you're safe at work. And I sort of wonder, well, you know, I mean, would you say that to someone working in other professions that are unsafe? So, for example, a, a paramedic, so long as you're safe, you know, to 
you know, much more horrible things like making assumptions about whether or not you were sexually abused as a child and things like that, which are, you know, pretty offensive. So, yeah, it is so important to be around people who understand that. I think, you know, even within community, we do have issues with internalised whorephobia. But of course, like actually being together and being around other sex workers is a great way to start to kind of break that down within ourselves as well. Um, Yeah, pivotal. I couldn't, yeah, imagine life without it. Couldn't do basic safety stuff without it. It was enormous for me when I started out. It enabled me to access information that I couldn't have otherwise. It gave me um, kind of historical information on, you know, yeah, what is available for sex workers and especially connecting with the peer organisation, our local one as Vixen Collective. Um, I was able to get more information on stuff around services, like, in particular, but also just, yeah, help me to understand, like, the very complex laws that are here as well. So, yeah, I, I could go on and on about that. Yeah, there are so many reasons that peer support is like super important yeah well i think it's important it's fundamental because the current situation in victoria like because there is no full decriminalization of uh, sex work we have to rely on uh, each other to um, learn things and essentially don't fall into specific traps or clients that are not particularly nice like we just have to rely on each other because we don't have any help coming from organizations i mean like decriminalization isn't a magic bullet you know and we see the same thing you know homosexuality was once a crime and when that was decriminalized it didn't obviously didn't end homophobia but i think it's a great starting point for us to actually start to you know if we're then seeing sex workers not as some sort of the sex industry as a seedy underbelly but rather as a perhaps slightly unusual, but, you know, normal profession, then we can start to break down some of the misconceptions about sex work that I think allow the more serious kinds of violence and discrimination to occur. I think some of the main ones that you come up against are that our work is inherently violent, that we should... You know, some people take it so far as to consider all sex work rape. For others, they think it's just a normal part of our lives. I think... You know, there's also the assumption that we are um, sort of vectors of disease, the assumption that we are all mentally ill, that we are all drug users, that we are all incapable of parenting and uh, maintaining romantic relationships and these sorts of things. And there are, you know... There are absolutely people with mental illness in our community. There are people who are drug users and all sorts of things in our community and and their experiences are valid and wonderful. But to make assumptions, blanket assumptions about the entire community is just kind of absurd. So, yeah. When I came out as a sex worker to my close friends, there was, there was always this, I've always been met with, oh, but are you being safe? Or like every, every stereotype that has been divulged about the sex work industry kind of came out. And I know they meant well, but at the same time, I knew that it was the product of criminalization. Also, a lot of I've lost a few friendships. I feel like a lot of people think that sex works is kind of cutting corners in life because like it's not perceived as labor when instead it's like very heavy labor. And so, yeah, some people 
I'm not sure if that's like jealousy or envy, but definitely there was an element of like people thinking this person is cutting some corners in life to get where they want to be. So I think that decriminalization would definitely help in uh, mm, making sure that everyone knows what the sex work industry is about and how important it is and uh, how incredibly tiring it is to be a sex worker sometimes and how like the money that we make is really hard earned. The emotional labor part of it is really important. Uh, I think, you know, when you're when you're with a client, you want to give them your 100%, you want to make them feel absolutely special. But sex workers, like just like every person, have their own lives. And so sometimes we might have um, a bad day, but then when a client comes, we suddenly have to switch all of that off leave those rooms and kind of enter into another room where we only have eyes for our client. And so I reckon that maintaining that illusion is incredibly difficult at times. So I reckon that's where the most difficult part about this job is. Our industry is criminalized or partially criminalized or like extremely heavily regulated and put in a way that like, organized in a way that is always detrimental to the workers and kind of discourages the workers from keeping doing this job. Sometimes I think of comparisons like with other industries and uh, for some reason I always think of bakeries and like I think of what if all of a sudden bakeries were not allowed to do certain things that they have to do in order to carry on with their business what if they were not what if a bakery was not allowed to sell on their own premises and had to hand deliver all of their bread around a neighborhood like what would happen and i don't understand why the sex work industry has all of these regulations well obviously it comes from stigma and yeah so it's really interesting to think about it that way and yeah, I wish that the sex work industry was as recognized as the baking industry. I guess like a central argument for decriminalization is that the criminalization of any part of the industry kind of drives it, you know, undergrounds, like in the sense that you are more reluctant to seek support if you need it. You're more reluctant to kind of be out in whatever way and that can affect your access to services it, it can affect how services treat you when something goes wrong um, as well as yeah other authorities that you might have to interact with so it would alleviate that risk to a an incredible degree although you know like decrim doesn't fix like stigma automatically obviously like it's a first step among like many it's just a it's a foundational basic step that needs to needs to be taken pretty much yeah i can only really speak to um brothel based work because that's the only work that i've like engaged in substantially in that sense like i think a, a massive problem with the licensing model is that it kind of balances a lot of power into the hands of the like licensee the owner operator as opposed to the worker and sort of yeah makes you reliant on them without you know having the legal rights of an employee but yeah, so we kind of rebalance that in a sense of like giving workers an autonomy in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I guess it, like it would just make me feel a bit safer in terms of being out more. And yeah, the kind of I'm 
coming to a space where I'm almost fully out and, you know, in doing that, but not, yeah, <laughs> I've still got a way, way to go. Um, and a lot of the risks there for me and the barriers are legal ones and not knowing if those will be compromised if certain people are aware, that sort of thing. So that would be alleviated and I could be a lot, you know, yeah, that would be, that would change my life in a lot of ways. But I guess prior to being at this stage when I was kind of semi out, that was really difficult because like, you know, now, um, yeah, I guess like there's a kind of all these sort of social stuff that comes with it. So like fetishization of sex workers, like as well as fetishization of queer people. Like, so if I had told the wrong person who was a bit of a creeper or whatever, like um, it was, you know, or anyone who really had like just questionable intentions toward me, it was a bit of leverage. Whereas, yeah, the more out I'm able to be, the less that that can be weaponized against me and the more control I can have over who knows and who doesn't know on my own terms and, you know, can manage the risks of that. Yeah, more according to, yeah, what I want to need. When everything goes well, you have a beautiful, uh, steady income and that is really empowering, especially as um, as a, an immigrant to Australia. Having worked for a few like highly exploitative hospitality and retail companies before that, I think the community is like my favorite thing. Like I've made some of the like my best friends in the sex industry. They are just like they're so smart and funny and just like incredibly resilient people and incredibly kind and giving like you know I was sick recently and of course in the sex industry you don't get sick leave and it was amazing how much my friends took care of me and yeah so that's definitely been a massive positive and I think also just that you can always just kind of do something else try something different there's so much out there and it can be really like it can be fun and weird and funny sometimes the kind of situations that you find yourself in yeah other sex workers are like yeah <laughs> the best people yeah I've made incredible friends there particularly those involved in kind of political community stuff I've learned so much from them and I do continually there's uh, like just this incredible history and present of peer education within sex worker spaces and I'm so grateful for it it's like yeah kept me alive and also we're, we're just very fun um, that's great. Um, I've had some of the funniest experiences of my life doing my job. I've yeah, met some really interesting people and had conversations that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, I don't know. Just to be a part of a really vibrant, really politically staunch community is a really beautiful thing. It's taught me things about kind of, yeah, community and accountability that I've not learned in other political kind of activists yeah, spaces that I've been in, so, yeah. You've been listening to QR Code with James McKenzie. Listen and download our episode from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR Code. Thanks to Peaches, Maeve and Geo for sharing their insights. For more information about sex workers' rights and peer support, go to Vixen Collective and Scarlet Alliance on your search engine. Thanks to the City of Yarra for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Our theme music is Ritual for Transformation by McKaylee Vishal. Next time on QR Code, Michaeli Vesho explores the mental health effects of erasure, othering and lateral violence in queer communities. Until next time on QR Code.